0: Did you grow up in church? Uh, I did. And uh, I tell people as far as when it came to church and me as a kid, I had a drug problem. Every time the doors were open, I was drugged to church. Every Sunday, I was drugged to church. Every Wednesday, I was drugged to church. And I started to really not like it. I didn't like going. uh, And there were a lot of reasons I didn't like going. But one of them was I just didn't like the music. Now that I'm starting to grow older, or grow older, come on, get older, not growing old. I guess I am. Anyway, uh, I look back on the hymns that we used to sing. Now I used to look at them uh, back then with like disdain. It's like, come on, can we get a guitar up there, some drums or something? But now I look back on them, and some of them have such truth. There was a hymn we used to sing. It's called Trust and Obey, and I just want to read for you uh, a few of the lyrics. It would say, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord and in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And how different is that than the culture that we live in? The culture that we live in, the 21st century culture, says to trust yourself. Go on some self-discovery methods. You really just need to take time and work on you. Our culture tells you to look the best you can online, right? And trust in likes and shares and follows. Our culture tells you to uh, trust what they say on the television. Trust what they say uh, whenever. Our obedience is to ourselves in our culture. Our obedience is to what we want in our desires. And it's a far cry from trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. Sometimes we think there are other ways to be happy in Jesus. Uh, to include him, last week we talked, about, uh, we talked about one part of our sermon, as in, this year include Jesus. We got some positive response to that. A lot of you are like, man, I really like that. This year I'm going to include Jesus. I'm going to include Jesus. I'm going to include Jesus. But let's include Jesus on while we're following Jesus. Let's not include Jesus... In our motives, in what we want to do, and because then we're not really following, are we? We're not really trusting. We're not really obeying. And I just, I just start to think about the egocentrism in our culture. It's on the rise. It's not on the, it's not on the decline. So it's so valuable and it's so important for us to trust and obey in Jesus. For there's no other way to be happy. In Jesus, but to trust and obey. Elizabeth Elliot, she's a famous um, missionary, and miss, missionaries tend to not become famous until they die, and that was true for Elizabeth Elliot. Well she tells a story of when she and her brother Tom were really small children. and um, uh, their mom would let Tom, the son, play with uh, plastic bags in the kitchen play with them on the floor that sounds like my childhood right (laughs) sometimes pull out the pots and pans my son uh, my children have everything uh, well compared to to me when I was kid and Bowen will be playing with some Legos or playing with a remote control car and he'll say dad did you have this when I was a kid and I was like yeah I did it looked like plastic bags with wooden spoons and pots and pans that's (laughs) why that's what it looked like and I would just have to imagine the remote control car but anyway Uh, Tom Elizabeth Elliot's son or Elizabeth Elliot's brother was playing one day with uh, with plastic bags on the floor he was finished and his mom came into the kitchen only to see them strewn all over the floor but Tom was in the other room uh, at the piano with his father singing hymns when their mother called for Tom to come tidy up the kitchen he protested and he yelled to his mom he said mom I want to sing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. His father, who was sitting next to him playing the hymns on the piano, he backed up the boy's mother by saying, It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's good. I'm going to read that again. It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. How many of you are convicted about some of the songs that we just sang? And some of the words that we just joined together with in praising God. But meanwhile, Monday through Saturday, we live in disobedience. It's no good. To obey is better than sacrifice. You ever sit in a room by yourself and just crave God's glory? I know, it sounds strange, and it's really odd, but uh, this is really, I, I told you last week, uh, my word for the year is listen, and what I'm not good, I'm good at listening if you can talk louder than me, because I'm not good at at shutting up, like I, I just don't do good at stop, uh, stopping talking, and uh, so, a part of a discipline of this year for me to listen is to just be quiet, and so one thing I'm trying to do, I don't do a very good job of it yet, I still got like 300 and... 40-something days. So uh, it's just to sit in a room quietly. Don't do anything. Don't don't pick my phone up. Don't open up a book or my computer. Don't check my email. But just to sit quietly. And y'all, I go crazy. (laughs) But uh, I found myself the other day saying, God, I don't know what it would be like to experience your glory in this room right now. And so I just started to wonder, what would it be like for me to crave God's glory? And God is a glory hound. He loves glory. Well, I mean, all of creation screams back God's glory, right? And so he loves it when we are able to give him glory. And so then I started looking at my sermon for this week, and I came to this conclusion. We, when we are most obedient to Jesus and what he calls us to do, it's really when we see God's glory the most. Sometimes it's sitting in a room, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's being obedient to what God calls to. Hey, we're in this new series this year called uh, New Me, Who This" Because uh, we try to stay as cool as possible. You know, we got, you know, we're just hip. We're down with it. Oh, this is what the cool kids say. We're here for that. We're here for it. I don't know. But try it. You you try this week. Here's your homework. So we're starting this uh, series called New Me, Who This, And we together, as a church, are going through uh, God's Word. We're going through the book of John together. And so remember, what we're asking you to do is read a chapter a week. Last week, we preached on John 1. We asked you to read John 1 throughout the week. It's not a huge task, especially with the YouVersion Bible app. That'll read it to you. Um, this week, uh, we're preaching through John 2, and so what we're going to ask you to do is go home this week and read John 2 and to uh, pray through it and see what God's Word has to say to you. If you need a Bible, we have some volunteers on each side. We, we'd love for you to have one. Uh, throw your hand up, and they'll bring one to you, and you can read and follow along with me. Hey, look, I'm using the same Bible that you are, and so uh, if you want, it's on page five, 500, so we can cheat together. It's on page 500, John chapter 2. Um, we also make it really easy. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, man, it's a great app to have. It has reading Bible plans in there. Like I said, the, it'll read the Bible to you. Um, I do this every week. Well, I've been trying to do it uh, more and more this year. Is I'll pull up the Bible on the Bible app. I'll let it read to me while I read with it. And so it's a great tool to use to study the Bible. Um, We also put everything on our Restore Church app. And so if you have the Restore Church app, you just just click on on Bulletin. You'll see the announcements, the songs that we just sang. You can listen to those on Spotify, and uh, you'll see the sermon notes right there. So we're in John chapter 2, if you haven't found it yet. On the third day, uh, we're starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' uh, mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? And all you moms just reached to backhand somebody, didn't you? (laughs) Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. On the third day, so John, John's trying to tell the story of Jesus. John's main goal is not like Luke's. Luke's main goal is to tell a story like a historian. John's main goal is for you to know that Jesus was 100% human, 100% God. And so, uh, you know, he says on the third day, and you look back, and you're like, on the third day of what, the week? Or did all of this happen in three days? Um, On the third day, a wedding took place. It's really just another way of saying, like, meanwhile. Or later on, a wedding was taking place in Cana of Galilee. Now, how many of you cringed a little bit to hear Jesus just disrespect his mom? Right? Mary was like, you put some respect on my name. She's like, Jesus says, woman? Why, uh, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Look, there's a big cry, a big difference between the language they spoke in the first century and ours now. Jesus was not being disrespectful. This was not a, uh, like, if you husbands and your wife ask you to do something and you turn around and say, woman... Um, why do you involve me? You can't say to her, "Well, Jesus said it, so I can say that." All right, it's not the way this works. He was not actually the way that this reads in the original language. Jesus is actually being submissive to his mother. Hey, I and want, I want you to notice something. He says, uh, it "says Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come." Does his mom? Does Mary and Jesus enter into a discussion about what's about to happen? No, (laughs) she just says, "Cool, do whatever he tells you to do." In the Ten Commandments, there is one that says, "Honor thy father and mother." And Jesus submits to his mom, even while he says, "My hour has not yet come." You know, uh, Mary is such a significant player in the or significant role in the story of Jesus, right? I mean, we talked about last week, the virgin birth, and how critical that is to the gospel story. But, you know, you'd think that throughout the life, uh, the life of Jesus, we would hear more about Mary. We hear about her presence, but we don't hear about what she says. The last recorded words we have of Mother Mary, as, as some traditions call her, are right here. The last words we have recorded of Mary, of what Mary says is, do whatever he tells you. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I imagine uh, when my time comes, the things that people will say, hey, I remember Roger saying that. Majority of them, probably dumb, but I would hope that the last words someone records of me might be about submitting to Jesus and his obedience, Can you imagine being a worker? You show up to work one day. You're like, oh, we've got a catering party. We're catering to some wedding. You're just going to go. You're going to have a normal night, not really expecting to see the glory of God in one night. It's just a normal night. Can't wait to get home. And then some lady starts talking in these real cryptic language. She goes to Jesus who's just from Nazareth, he's not really all that much. She says, "Uh, hey, they're out of wine, and instead of being like, yeah, all right, okay, cool, let's leave, he says, don't involve me. Involve him in what? And then this, this lady turns around and says, do whatever he tells you. Look, he's not my boss. He doesn't call the shots here. Matter of fact, the king does, or whoever's in charge of the actual wedding does. Look, Mary's words here, do whatever he tells you. They can be uh, skipped over in the grand scheme of John. In the grand scheme of John chapter two, even there's more exciting scenes that happen in John two than this one. And so the words of Jesus can, uh, or the words of Mary, do whatever he tells you, are about to be eclipsed by Jesus turning water into wine. But what I would hope you would do is underline, highlight, do whatever, make a note to these words. Because if you can follow these words, you're really getting at the heart of the gospel of do whatever he, Jesus, tells you. And these are hard words. These are easy words to read, easy words to grasp. They're hard words to follow, aren't they? I mean, what if you were to follow the words of Jesus in every aspect of your life? To be obedient to God's word, to what Jesus says. I mean, these words right here, you know who they're meant for. They're meant for church leaders to do whatever he tells you, to live a private life so that your public life is never questioned. This is meant for preachers. You ever been of a part of a church, and you, you, you look at this preacher who preaches God's word, and, and, and he's so eloquent, and he's so charismatic, and then all of a sudden the, the newspapers are writing about a, an affair or a mismanagement of money. It wouldn't happen if you would just do whatever Jesus tells you to do, even when it's tough. You know who these words are meant for? They're meant for doctors. They're meant for lawyers. They're meant for our servicemen and women. They're meant for stay-at-home moms. They're meant for leaders. They're meant for high school students and middle school students. The words, do whatever Jesus tells you, They're meant for the person sitting in your seat. Right now, not at one when the movies start, but right now. Do whatever Jesus tells you. But I got to tell you, once you start to obey Jesus, life gets complicated. We see that for the disciples here in just a second. Um, uh, Yeah, sorry. Sometimes my notes get out of whack. And that happened a couple, like, last month, two months ago or something. And y'all remember this? I just tried to push on, and it got real weird. So I'd rather just take a moment and make sure that we don't get that weird. All right, we're not that weird. We're good. We're in good shape. Um, all right, so let's keep reading. You can imagine that as following Jesus can get sticky, can get complicated. Sometimes you stand in front of 100 people and admit that you're wrong sometimes in the way you put your notes. Um, It gets complicated and it gets messy. When you start to follow Jesus and you really start to obey and do what he asks, it gets messy. One thing we love about it here, Restore Church loves the mess. If you have mess, you got a messy life, don't avoid it. Like we want to do life with you. We want to walk and trudge through your mess with you. And um, so we say this all the time, don't check your bags at the door, bring them in with you, because we serve a God who can handle it, and we want to help you lift them. And so let's follow Jesus together, let's get messy, let's see what the next couple verses tell us. In John chapter 2, nearby stood six uh, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. So they were not using these for the party, they're just sitting by each holding anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons. They're pretty big jars. And Jesus says to the servants, remember Mary told them, do whatever he tells you. She says to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out, or draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. First of all, these servants, Mary told them, do whatever, whatever he tells you. These are not used for anything except ceremonial washing. And Jesus tells them, who who is just really an attender at this wedding, he says, I want you to fill them to the brim of water, with water. That's 120 to 180 gallons of water. That might be the night you say, I quit, I'm finding another job. Right? Can I do anything else except fill these up with water? There's, there's no point to this. Sometimes when Jesus asks us to do something or to obey him, man, the payoff, we don't see it right away. Sometimes we look at it and we're like, that's ridiculous. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. That's difficult. That might mean something different for my career. That's going to be hard. I'm going to be ostracized, made fun of. Oh, God forbid you get made fun of. I hate that for you. I might uh, have to cut off some relationships. And it doesn't make sense. Filling up these random jars that we're not even using for this wedding with water kind of doesn't make sense. But we do whatever he tells us. And they did so. Verse 9. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Some of y'all have that part underlined. I know you. I know you. You're like, mom calls, you really shouldn't be drinking. But Jesus turned water into wine, all right? Okay, anyway. Stop doing that. That's not right. So don't do that. It's just not accurate. He did turn water into wine, but it's not so you can get drunk. Okay. Verse 10. Uh, Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You ever wonder why God just doesn't, or why Jesus just doesn't do a little bit? Like, why didn't he just do one of these jars? Why six of them? Why doesn't he just take a cup, a clear bottle, maybe like this, and turn it into wine so that everyone can see what happens? Why why so much? Well, for one, it can't be faked. Jesus can't fake 120 gallons of water to wine. He wants there to be no mistake about it of who is doing this. It can't be reproduced no one else in the kingdom is going to be able to do this. You remember when Moses walks into Pharaoh, he says, uh, he says let my people go. And at each step of the way, every time he does, uh, every time God sends a plague, or every time God does something miraculous, uh, Pharaoh tries to get someone to reproduce it. You can't reproduce, turn 120 gallons of water into wine. And when it's all said and done, there's no doubt how this gets done. So, Monday night, there was this uh, football game. I don't know if you all watched it, but it was a national championship game. Clemson played Alabama. Um, and Clemson won. All right, now, of course, I'm excited, but I, the thing that excites me the most about Clemson winning the national championship is the glory that God received afterwards. The freshman quarterback, uh, he gives all glory to Jesus. Now, if I'm 19 years old, And I just performed on the biggest stage of my life and ran over the best college football team anyone has ever seen before. Um, You you better believe I'm going to get some of this credit, right? Like someone had to throw the football. Now this kid's like, man, Jesus receives all the credit. He says, uh, my identity is not found in football. It's found in Jesus and who he says I am. They interviewed the coach, uh, Dabo Sweeney, on the football field. Right after, the, it's the biggest stage. He has climbed the pinnacle of college football. And they put a microphone in his face right after the game, right? Your emotions are high on what just happened. And they said, Coach, you always seem to have so much joy. What are you feeling right now? He says, yeah, you know, uh, he's just the coolest guy in the world. And he says, yeah, it's, been my, it's kind of been my word all year. It's kind of been my word all year, joy, and, you know, kind of been my word. And, uh, he said, but my joy comes in Jesus. It doesn't come from football. And uh, I just, I, I mean, all right, no jo- all joking aside, you know, I love Clemson, but had he been the coach for the other team, or for any other team, it's like, man, that's what it's all about. What he says is, and this is, this is the point I'm making, is he says, only God can do this. Does God care about who wins a football game? No. Does God care? Who loses the football game, or if you're invested in the football game, he doesn't. What does God care about? His glory. And so I feel like God was proud after watching that because He got glory for what has happened. And Dabo Sweeney says only God can do this—not win the national championship, but take some kid from Podunk, Alabama—that's what he calls it, Podunk, Podunk Alabama—and put him on a stage like this. See, when we're obedient to Christ in every situation. It's when God gets the most glory. It's when we see God's glory the most. When a microphone is stuck in front of your face and millions of people are watching, instead of taking credit for yourself, he, he thinks, takes John the Baptist's words, where he must become greater, I must become less. You see, we have got to become more obedient to Jesus, not just from situa- Well, from every, in every situation. We've got to become obedient to Jesus so that when someone sticks a microphone in our face, the words that come out are, it's all about Jesus. We've got to be so obedient to Jesus that when someone asks us why we believe what we believe, we don't cower away, but we let Christ shine, let our light shine for all in front of all men, so they may see our actions and give praise to our Father in heaven. And so um, everyone sees God's glory through what Jesus does. Do you notice? Jesus didn't want to. Jesus didn't want to do the miracle. But his mother, and him being obedient to her because he's obedient to God's word, says, all right, I'll do it. What he says is, my time has not yet come. What he's afraid of, and I, I get it, is that he doesn't want to be killed yet. Because he hasn't fulfilled all prophecy. He hasn't done all that God has called him to do. Now, when you look at the story, here's one thing you should do when you read the Bible. This is a good uh, Bible study technique. is Ask yourself this question. Uh, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about Jesus? What do I learn about the characters that are there? Uh, who's present? Start to think about like who's in the room. Who's seeing all of these things happen? And then one more question you ask is, how do I apply all this? Um, so what do I learn about me? Who sees Jesus' glory? Mary. Right, everyone at the reception, especially the the servants who do what God, who, who do what Jesus asked them to do, but none of them are listed in verse, um, in verse eleven. Look what verse eleven says. It says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. He's going to do many more in the book of John. He's going to reveal his glory many times through the book of John. But the next couple words are really important for us. And his disciples believed in him. Now, I'm going to go on a little side note here. You don't have to agree with me on this, but that might make you wrong if you don't. Um, When I read through the book of John, it's going to say this a couple more times, these exact words. Jesus' miracles, of course, they help the person that is there, right? You know, the blind man. It helps the people at the party because now there's wine and the party can continue. Um, Jesus' miracles are done for his disciples. It's not to gather a crowd. It's not for everyone around to go, ooh, ah. It's for one, to glorify God and give God glory. But two, it's for his disciples, not any other person. Because what is critical is when Jesus leaves, who's carrying on the mission? The disciples. He can't afford for these 12 people to go back home, right? He can't afford for them to be like, eh, I was kind of in between, I never really saw a miracle. No, no, no. It is important for the disciples to believe 100% in Jesus because when he goes, he needs someone to change the world and turn what access turn the world upside down. And so throughout, when you, read through, when you read through the book of John, watch that every miracle the disciples are present And sometimes you'll get to see their reaction like this. They believed in him. Have you, uh, you know about Arabian horses? Yeah? No? You don't just read random articles on Arabian horses? Well, maybe if you were researching a sermon on obedience, you would read about (laughs) Arabian horses. Well, the training for Arabian horses is essential, and it's kind of rigorous so Arabian horses, their trainers need them to, to, uh, to obey like this, immediately like this. They require absolute obedience from their horses. And the final test comes, uh, after. it's kind of grueling, the final test is that they don't give them water, the, the horses water. Anybody from PETA in here? All right, okay. I'm just kidding. If you are, that's cool. We love you. We love you. And uh, I had a salad last week, so... Um, The final test comes when they don't allow the horse to have water for numerous days. Now, you can imagine how difficult that is for the horse, right? Um, Well, the final test is they bring them toward water, and then they let them all go. Now, where are they going to run? They run toward the water, and they fly toward the water. Well, finally, as they approach the water, the trainer will blow the whistle and the ones who stop before the water, with their legs trembling, their faces kind of fixed on the water, will stop and come back to the trainer. They'll realize the ones who haven't been trained completely, because they will just go completely to the water. You know, I know that that seems severe to you, and it does to me, kind of sick a little bit. But, but when you're on a track in the desert, in Arabia... Your life is entrusted to a horse. And you'd better be sure that that horse is trained and obedient to you. Just like those horses who accept God's training, we have to do the same. And we have to obey God even when we don't want to. I hear stories of your life, man. Listen, I want to know your story. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about our story and how much it matters. But I want to hear your story. If you want to have lunch or coffee, man, I, I... Let's sit down and one of the first questions I'll ask if, if I don't really know you is just tell me about yourself, about your life. How'd you come to know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Those kinds of things. But, um, some of you have been through some stuff. You've lived a life and it hasn't always been easy. Some of you have fought through addiction. And so you know what it's like to stand with your face, looking at that bottle and trembling. But you hear God's call, don't do it. Don't do it, I've called you to more, don't do it. Well, do you dive in or do you run back to your trainer? There's some of you who have fought sexual addiction and you sit in the house all by yourself and the computer's right there or your phone's right here and if you go to this certain website, you know that you can click a link to get to this website that'll get you to where you need to be and you sit in that living room and you tremble. Because you know that you could do it. But God's telling you don't. Don't do it. Are you going to dive in? Are you going to turn and run? Now, there are many of us in this room that know what God's calling us to. Some kind of obedience to give up this thing and to run this thing. Maybe it's to start a new church. Maybe God's asking you to start a homeless ministry here in Jacksonville. Maybe it's to help. I got a message from from one of you this week that talked about the amount of suicide attempts on Camp Lejeune just this past year. It says, what can we do about it? So we're going to talk about some things that maybe Restore Church can do to help. Maybe you're sitting in a chair right now and you're like, I can't believe this. This is what I've been thinking about. This is a ministry I want to start. This is a passion I want to be a part of. This is a nonprofit that I have in my head. But, and God's calling you to it, and you're like, I don't know. I love the security of, of whatever it is. Look, following Jesus can get messy. Hey, I, I want to kind of go through the rest of this pretty quickly because I could talk about obeying Jesus forever. Um, following Jesus gets difficult, and I, I'll just... Um, I'll just stop there. Look at verse twelve. Let's let's read a couple more verses together. After this, all right. So these guys are in. They're following Jesus. They're they're like, hey, I believe in you. You did this pretty crazy miracle. Do you ever imagine that that Peter or somebody like has a bottle or has a cup of water and they go to Jesus and be like, man, can can I just have a glass of wine? And Jesus looks, looks at him like, you're an idiot. Anyway, I don't know. It's not in there, but I wonder sometimes. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples there. They stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and, other, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers And overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus walks in. He sees a house of prayer, a place of worship that's turned into a marketplace. Now, sometimes they would they would exchange goods. Sometimes they would exchange money for things. But something in particular sparks Jesus to where he's like, "Man, I got to get rid of this." So he goes out, he makes whips, he starts whipping things and flipping tables. Jesus has some righteous anger. You might ask yourself, "Man, what was it? What flipped the switch? What about it? um, What about it sent Jesus into what we all wish we could do to our work sometimes?" Jesus, uh, he, he sees that they're doing this. Now, look, in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, you don't need to flip there. Just stay in John 2 if you have your Bible. This is what it says. It talks about offering sacrifices for your newborn son. And it says, But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a skin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Did you see that? If she cannot afford a lamb, she's talking about someone who's poor, would bring pigeons or doves as an offering because they can't afford to bring a lamb or to give their lamb. Now, what's this have to do with, Je- with Jesus flipping tables in John chapter 2? Well, you, in... um. In the Gospels, so you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sometimes they all tell the same story. So you can flip over to Luke chapter 2, and you can see that we get some more details about this story, or about about the story of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 is about the birth of Jesus, and it says this. Listen. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two pigeons. Mary and Joseph were very poor and they couldn't afford to, uh, to, to give a lamb. So not only does this hit Jesus' like heartstrings, man, you guys, like, You're taking advantage of poor people. And that's not what my God's, my Father's business is about. That's not what this place is for. You will not take advantage of the poor. And Jesus sees that in John chapter 2. And man, if we're going to get angry about anything, let's get angry about the injustice of people around us who are suffering. Y'all, it's about to get cold. Are you going to love a homeless person through the cold? Think about where they stay. Like, there are poor people all around us, and Jesus says they're going to be around us until he comes back. But, like, get angry about that. Get mad about people that God cares for, but maybe our culture isn't. Get angry about how full our nursing homes are and how little people go to visit. Get angry about that. Jesus steps in and he says, I'm going to defend the weak. I'm going to defend the helpless. And sometimes doing the righteous thing, uh, sometimes doing the righteous thing isn't always easy. Friend of mine, uh, I haven't talked to him in years, uh, in Virginia Beach. His name is Dallas Stamper. He was sitting in in a service just like this at a church plant in Virginia Beach. The preacher gets up, and he talks about loving homeless people, and, and you know, you've heard sermons on that, or of uh, loving homeless, or loving people, uh, loving the least of these, and, and sometimes the tendency for us to hear, when we hear topics that we, you know, we've heard a thousand times in church, we'll just roll our eyes, sit here, make plans for lunch, uh, and, you know, I don't know, in these seats you could take a nap, what, whatever you do, I don't know, but, um. But Dallas, he, he's sitting there, and he hears the preacher say this: "How many homeless people do you know?" Well, I know that one guy that stands down there, and I, and I know this one woman who I see pushing her cart, and then the preacher, uh, he's, he asks this question: "How many of them do you know by name? Because Jesus knows their name. How many of them do you know their story? Now, what's significant about Dallas is he was working for General Electric, GE. He was making six figures a year. He goes home, he says, Man, I, I got to know them. I want to know them. I'm inspired by Jesus. I want to trust and obey. So he goes home and he makes up sandwiches in a grocery bag and they go downtown and, and they go down to the oceanfront and start handing them out. And uh, he, he asks the guys, He says, Hey, if I do this again next Sunday, will you be back? Uh, yeah, of course. So he goes a couple more weeks, a couple more weeks, a couple more weeks. Now more and more people are coming, of course. If there's going to be free food and you need food, you would come. And so he would bring uh, two sandwiches in a bag and a bag of chips. Now he can afford it, right? He can afford it. So he, he continues to do it. Then the Holy Spirit says, dude, why don't you preach? Now Dallas does, hasn't been to Bible college. And of course if you're going to preach, you have to go to Bible college because you have to know all the answers, right? Um. And Dallas says, no, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. He fights with God for, for a while. And finally, he asks, the, he asks one of the guys, hey, would you th- what would you think about me preaching? God, God was like, we would love it. So he has this crowd at the Virginia Beach Ochoa front. He's handing out lunches week after week after week. And then he, can you imagine, can you imagine you deciding to go home? You start to feed the homeless. They start to show up. And then God asks you to preach. It's not that far-fetched of an idea. And so he goes home, and he starts to study God's word, and he starts to preach. Now, he can't preach the sermon that he heard at the, at the church, because if he says, hey, how many homeless people do you know? They might know a couple. But he's, he's, he gets the courage enough to preach. Now he starts to do it every week, bring food and preach. He gives up. He stops going to his service, his church service, because now there's a congregation at the ocean front. Now, here's the hard part, is it started to get in the way of his job, which means it's in the way of the security of his family, which means he can't really pay all his bills if he continues to do both things. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Dallas Stamper quits his job. Six-figure income. They sell their huge house. They downsize into this small house. And he starts a nonprofit ministry called PIN Ministries: People in Need. If you're looking for someone to support next this year uh, outside of Restore Church, check out Penn Ministries in Virginia Beach. He gives up his job. He starts to, uh, he, he sells his home, moves into this small home. Now he's got two kids, right? So it doesn't come without a cost. He starts. uh, He he starts. You know. He continues to do this. He he makes this his his um, his mission. He starts to get other people involved. Uh, Grand Affairs, which is this like like upscale catering company, says we will start catering meals every Sunday. Local doctor says we said we will give our time. We will be there every Sunday to give health like to give uh, uh, advice and to see your patients. Um, They start to give clothes out every week through a boutique. I can tell you now that Penn Ministry is, man, they're killing it up in Virginia Beach. And every week, hundreds, maybe even more now, come through there every Sunday. Here's what they get. They get a catered meal by uh, Grand Affairs. They get two bag lunches. They get to walk in and grab clothes each week if they need it. They get uh, the necessary medical care that they need. Um, and they leave with, uh, with toiletries and, and things. It's amazing. It's amazing. All because one guy sat in a chair just like you and responded to being obedient to what God wanted to do in his life. See, the problem with faith is you can't just say you have faith and see it. The problem with faith is you can only see what it causes, which is obedience. Um, well, the, the Jews get mad. Let's, let's read this last, this last little part. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority uh, to do all of these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple had, he had spoken of was his body after he was raised from the dead his disciples recalled what he had said then they believed see that the scripture and the words that jesus had spoken now while he was in jerusalem at the passover festival many people saw the signs that he was performing and they believed in his name but jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people he did not know he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person I, I don't know what being obedient to Jesus means to you. I, I don't know what he's calling you to do or what he's asking you to give up or what he's asking you to begin or what he's asking you to end. I don't know if he's asking you to get involved in the, in the youth ministry or to start attending the youth ministry. I don't know if he's asking you to get involved in serving in the village or being a part of our setup team. Or maybe he's calling you to something outside of Restore. I, I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. It's sticky. It's sticky. It's tough and it's messy, but it's worth it. Imagine you work for a very successful businessman, OK? And uh, he says, y'all, it's, it's necessary. I've got to go immediately. I, I got to leave. Um, But I'm going to leave you in charge. Now, don't worry, because I'm going to send you emails. I'm going to send you letters. I'll send you text messages every now and then. And I'll tell you what to do. You just do it. Well, the business trip turns from a couple weeks into a couple months, and about six months. He continues to send you emails. He continues to send you letters and text messages. And they start to come in. Well, after six months, he returns. He approaches the building. But the business owner is kind of shocked. Weeds have started to grow up. The outside of the building is not taken care of. As he walks in, he hears people in the background kind of hoarse playing. He hears loud music coming from the speakers. The receptionist is asleep. He's like, what in the world? This is not the business that I left. So he goes into the conference room. You know, Conference room, five minutes, everybody, let's go. So he gets everyone in the conference room and he says, what's going on? I sent you letters. I sent you emails. and I sent you text messages. One guy speaks up in your meeting, and he's like, yeah. And they were so good. Your grammar was on point. And the little envelopes you sent them in, they were really great. Sometimes when you send the text message, you do those little effects that came in. We loved those. Some of them had even memorized parts of the letters. They wrote them down on plaques and put them in their office because, man, that was good. They studied the ins and the outs of the letters and the emails and the text messages. They tried to decide where he was at the time that he wrote them and, and really what his intent behind them were. They started to really analyze the grammar. Did he mean this or did he mean this? And they sat together and they studied it every week. And They, they really took pride in that. Finally, the owner of the business says to you guys, I'm glad you did all that, but why didn't you follow what I said? Man, I'd really hate for Jesus to return and look at Restore Church and say, man, you guys, you missed it. You missed it. You guys met together every week, and I was so proud of you. You guys looked at the words that I, that I wrote or had, had written down, and I, I'm so thankful you did that. But that's not enough. Why didn't you obey them? Why didn't you do what I was asking you to do? I had so much more for you as a family and you as a father and you as a husband. I had so much more for you as a stay-at-home mom to disciple your kids and watch them to grow up to be disciples. I had so much more for you as a teenager to change the classroom that you're in and to be an influence in your school. I had so much more for you than just to look at the words that I wrote. I wanted you to follow them. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think God's going to return and say, yes, that's what I intended. That's what I'm excited about. is a group of people, a small group of people in Jacksonville who decided to open up God's word and not just study it and not just sing random songs, but to put our obedience along with our praise. Oh, he's going to be so proud of us. He's going to be so proud of us men when we get home and say, honey, it's been in my heart. I've not been a good leader of our family. And I'm going to start pursuing Jesus with everything I have. And I'm going to start leading us. Follow me. It's going to take, he's going to be so proud of you moms when when we start to to put away things that don't matter and sit down with our kids in the middle of the day and say, hey, just sit. What are you glad that Jesus has given you? Read a a Bible story with your kids. Ask them questions about it. Don't just close the, the book and say goodnight. What do you think about Jesus? Don't don't you think he loves you? You messed up earlier today, remember? What do you think Jesus thinks about that? It's a great opportunity for you to teach forgiveness and grace and justice and about the burial and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I can't wait to hear how proud God is of you because you decided to trust and obey. I know that some of you aren't in the hymns, but maybe you should look that one up. Hear the words again. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. Hey, God, we thank you for the obedience of the disciples, the obedience of the servants, the obedience of, of those around us. God we're thankful that you allow us to follow you that you allow us to step in your footsteps to to pursue you. You have every right to set, to draw a line between your holiness and our sin, but you didn't, but instead you you sent Jesus. And so God, we we right now are going to remember that. God we right now are going to spend moments thinking about jesus that man our savior who died on the cross for us for our disobedience for uh for our poor decisions when we jump into the water instead of sprinting back so god uh thinks in advance for the forgiveness that we ask for and we crave. Lord, we we desire to see your glory in our lives, but you desire to see our obedience. Give us the strength to do that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.